0: Hi ladies, here to do chapter 4 for you. Chapter 4 is titled Breaking Free. Here goes. You're going to think I've lost my mind, I was telling my dear friends Esther and Ann. My cheeks still damp with tears, my hands shaking in my lap as the three of us perched awkwardly on the bench seats of a bus in a remote region of Uganda. I mean, really, it's possible I've actually lost my mind. My choice to shoot straight with them about what I'd been experiencing... The months of months of 3 a.m. wake-up calls, the doubt, the unbelief, the terrifying sense that I'd lost my Mm -hmm. spiritual footing was precipitated by having observed my meltdown 30 minutes prior in the office of the Ugandan officials we'd been meeting with. They watched as I'd come undone, so weary from fighting an unknown force, so sick of pretending everything was okay when absolutely nothing was okay. My only option at this time was to tell them the truth, so I spilled it, all of it, The weird encounter with the woman in Arkansas, the threats she'd made were coming for you, the endless sleepless nights, the fear that I'd lost my faith even though I don't believe it's possible for a person to lose her faith. My mouth spoke the words faster than my brain could process what exactly I was saying, as though I had pushed play on a secret recording I'd been making of this horror film that had been my life for the past 18 months. I don't know what I believe anymore, I said. It's been dark. Worse than I know how to say. I've been questioning everything so many months. I don't know if I belie- I still believe God. I think that maybe I don't. Anne studied my face with her characteristic intensity, waiting until I took a breath to insert her thoughts. No. No, she said. I know you. I know your faith. I've walked with you and watched you all this time. I looked at her wide-eyed, desperate for her perspective to be true. Jenny... This is the enemy, she said. None of this is from God. This awfulness you've been experiencing, this isn't who you are. As her words pierced my inner chaos and penetrated my mind, I let my eyes fall shut and nodded my head. Truth breaks through. The catalyst of my emotional meltdown in the Ugandan office was the startling experience of hearing a stranger proclaim intimately familiar words. During many of those 500 plus angst-ridden nights back home, the only silence I could find was in obsessively reciting a passage of scripture that I hoped and prayed would keep me tethered to my faith in God. Years earlier, i had memorized Psalms 139, and there in the black darkness of my bedroom, my mind whirling with doubt and fear, I'd whisper these words. Where shall I go for you from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shawl, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and right your right hand shall hold me. I was banking on these words being true, specifically the ones where David, the author of this psalm, said, that thy, try thou we might, there is a fact, no way to escape the presence of God. I wanted that to be true. I needed that to be true. So I'd whisper those words into the dark with desperate passion again and again and again. There in Uganda, my friends and I were visiting various refugee camps to observe the work being done by Food for the Hungry, an organization we'd all wanted to support in this effort. It was deeply gratifying to see the progress being made, even as I was in no shape to take it in. Our little team had come in from the field to a cramped office where we were to meet with the in-country officials who were facilitating the good work. They were all observers, all passionate about the strides being made, all gracious and chatty and kind. You'll join us for our devotional first before our meeting, right? One of the men had asked, to which we enthusiastically said yes. I situated myself on one side of the unair conditioned room, across from Anna and Esther, and, ex- and exhaled a thousand distracting thoughts. After a brief prayer, The man opened his Bible and began to read. O Lord, you have searched me and know me, he said with his thick accent rolling the R's. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. As these words emerged from his lips, realization sank heavy in me. He's reading Psalms 139. Are you kidding me? He's reading from Psalms 139? You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your head upon me. I felt myself braze as he spoke. I knew what was coming next. Where shall I go from your spirit, he said? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sholm, you are there. Tears sprang to my eyes. The room grew, the room grew stiffening hot. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I knew that to excuse myself just then would be inappropriate, even though I really did want to bolt. I felt my throat hitch and my eyes burn as tears broke free. Here, halfway around the world, in a microscopic village, we travel a full day by prop plane and a bus to get to. I'd heard these familiar words from the mouth of a man whose native language is not English. We love the same God. How could this God not be real? This man could have read any of the other tens of thousands of passages, but here we were reading the very words, the only words that were holding me, holding up my fragile faith. When Anne said those simple words, Jenny, this isn't who you are, she was right. In my soul, I knew it. This wasn't who I was. I loved God. I was a believer. I trusted Jesus and prized my faith. And God was not going to let go of me. The tears, the doubts, the restlessness, the pain, none of it was who I was. God is real and and I am valuable. My life matters. He is real. I had an enemy, and I let him beat me up far too long. I was over it. This was war. Clear vision restored. After Anne and Esther and I returned home from Uganda, Anne laid out our plan of attack. Part of me felt like a bother to my good friends, but the rest of me was desperate for help. Anne decided that for 24 hours, the three of us would stand in solidarity against whoever or whatever had pulled me in so deep into the pit of unbelief and doubt. We would pray together and fast from all food and drink. No morning smoothie, no torchy tacos for lunch, no late afternoon Starbucks, the flat white or the medallions, water, that was it. For a full day, we take the energy that usually went into thinking about food, preparing food, eating food, and direct it Toward prayer. We'd pray for my confidence, we'd pray for my steadiness, we'd pray for my faith. It all was so too self focused for me, but given the fear and pain I'd been dealing with, I was all in. In the days following Uganda, I must have replayed that comment of Anne a thousand times This isn't who you are. How could one simple declaration, one simple reminder unlock the thick chains binding my mind and my heart for over a year? I thought about something the Apostle Paul experienced upon coming to faith in Christ. He had been a prosecutor of Christians until he encountered Jesus on the road to Demonicus, where he had fallen blind. For three days, Acts 9 says, Saul ate nothing, drank nothing, and saw nothing. He had been directed by Jesus to go into a city and wait for further instructions. So the blind man, being led by his traveling companions, did as he was told. Eventually, a disciple from Dominicus named Aeneas came and laid hands on Saul, and he said, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you, ca- you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales from Saul's eyes, and he had fell from Saul's eyes, and he had regained his sight. Saul rose. Saul was baptized. Saul ate a meal. Saul gained strength. It is no exaggeration to say that upon hearing Anne's words, this isn't who you are. I could see something I hadn't been able to see in months. Because alone in the dark, the devil can tell you whatever the hell the devil wants. Now I wasn't alone. I was fighting, and in Christ I was given the authority and power to win. Something like scales fell from my eyes, and finally I had vision again. I'd encountered the truth, and while the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, but because they are spiritually discerned. As Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. The spiritual person is led by truth. Even when the spiritual person has been in the dark for what seemed like a very, very long time, I knew Anne had been right. The moment of change. Interestingly, during these months of torment, everything about my public life had seemed, had screamed of an insecure, rooted faith. I had proclaimed Jesus with unabated passion and seen the miracles of lives changed. And while fighting to hold on to my faith, I was actually full of faith. An important note you may live with re- low grade sadness and have for as long as you can remember or maybe for you it's far worse than that two people in my life who love Jesus are deeply fighting regular desires to take their own lives with the nat- with the national alliance of mental health mental illness reporting that one in 5 adults experience a mental health condition every year it's safe to say that mental health Illness is rampant. If mental illness is a struggle for you, may I please wrap my loving arms around you, look in your eyes, and whisper, This, your anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder or suicidal thoughts, this is not your fault. You may be suffering from a true chemical breakdown in your body, and I get that. Several members of my family depend on medicine to help regulate their brain chemistry. Please hear me. There is no shame in that choice. Praise God for those tools that help us. I just want you to know, please lean in close and hear this, that throughout this book, whenever I talk about God giving us a choice about how we think, I'm not suggesting that you can think your own way out of mental illness. I am not. I have experienced seasons of anxiety so brutal that I felt paralyzed. There are seasons when we need help in the form of counseling and or medicine, but I hope to show you in the coming pages that in every season there is help that we can access for ourselves, learning to think a single thought that can help us all. Those of us who struggle with mental illness and those of us who struggle are on are of a different sort. I just didn't feel very full of faith. What I felt was very beaten up. The tragedy for me was I didn't have to be spinning out for 18 months, and neither do you. We don't have to spin out 18 months. We don't have to spin out for 18 minutes. We don't have to spin out at all. I hesitate to say this next thing for several reasons. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you fought specific bondage or your entire life and my answer will seem pat maybe you can't even imagine freedom let alone work to pursue it but I'm going to say it anyway and I'm going to say it because it's true you can in fact change in an instant you and I can change science proves we can our brains are full of neural pathways Some shallow and some moldable and some grooves dug deep from a lifetime of toxic thoughts. In both cases, God is mighty to save. In both cases, he's mighty to heal. After our period of fasting and prayer, my brain felt newly awake and my thinking sharp and clear, as if I'd been peering through a heavy fog that suddenly lifted. I set out to understand what scripture tells us about our minds. I started studying, and the first verse that I began to dis- dissect was from Paul, a verse we touched on briefly earlier. Do not be conformed to this world, he said in Romans 12:2, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what it will of God, what is God and acceptable and perfect. Do you want to be transformed? I don't know why else you would be reading this book. Is there another season? Another reason, I mean? Netflixing is beckoning, dishes are in the sink, and there are 10,000 other things you could be doing, yet you're here. So I'm guessing you are here because you actually hope to be radically different somehow. We are going to attack something most sane people wouldn't dare to fight. Worse still... The reason they don't fight is that they don't even recognize the fight is happening. They don't realize there is an all-out assault against them. They don't see the enemy coming for them. They don't know they're about to get trampled. They're living completely unaware. That was me for a year and a half. But then came the moment when truth pierced my darkness and everything shifted. But let's not be naive. If our thought lives are the deepest, darkest place of stronghold within us, all hell will try to stop us from being free. We are going to slap on strategies. No, we are going to war against the root of darkness darkness within us. And we're going to have to dig deep to pull out that root. This is going to take work. This is going to take patience. This is going to take buckets of grace for ourselves. After I told my friends about my 18th month spiral of doubt because of how urgent it was, we threw at the beast of the spiral everything, spiritually speaking, that God gave us in our arsenals. I saw healing quickly when I recognized the attack of the enemy and began fighting back. In other spirals where grooves had been dug deep, healing is taking place over time. But in all cases, the weapons we fight with are the same. Day by day, we fight to be the captors of our thoughts rather than of the ones taken captive. While I was typing the previous section, I got a text from a friend who told me that my website had been hacked by a porn site. Yep, as I was talking about going to war with the devil, he goes to war with me. Coincidence? I don't think so. End of chapter 4